Please take your Bibles if you have them and turn with me to the book of Psalms. Once again, we are in Psalm 119. Today we are covering verses 129 through 136 and seeing the, the wondrous nature of the Word of God. So as we consider this, let us read together, beginning in verse 129 of Psalm 119. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Open my mouth. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray that you would shine the light of your spirit into our lives today. Grant us growth in knowledge so that our simpleness may be turned to godly wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the opening verses of Matthew 5, Jesus gives a list of characteristics. Characteristics that marks those who are blessed by God and characteristics that they live out in their lives. In, in verse 6 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Psalm 119 is a psalm that also opens with a declaration that those who live and love the word of God will be blessed by God. And in verse 131, which we just read a moment ago, the psalmist says, I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. The word pant in that verse refers to the intense desire that comes with a dangerous, almost fatal thirst or hunger. It is that intense desire for water or for food when you have gone far too long without either. How much do you desire to live and to learn the word of God? Throughout this series, we have talked about the importance of Bible study, of meditating on the word and of memorizing the word. This internalizing of the word will lead to the living of the type of holy life that God promises to bless in his word. How badly do you want the blessing of God? Our psalmist says that he desires God's instructions and commands like a thirsty man in the desert desires water. Jesus says that it is that level of desire for righteousness that God blesses. Our section today focuses on this longing, this panting, this desire, this hunger and thirsting for the commands for the righteousness of God. He desires, he longs for God's word, number one, because they are wonderful. Number two, because they reveal God's blessing to us. Because God's word is wondrous and reveals God's blessing, we should desperately long to meditate on all that it teaches. First, the wondrous nature of God's word. 
This section opens with the declaration that God's word is wonderful. Your statutes are wonderful. We have eight words that we see throughout Psalm 119 that the psalmist uses over and over again to refer to God's law, God's revelation, God's promises, God's judgments, God's statutes, his decrees, and, and we have talked about them as they are summarizing for us in those eight words what the word of God is. And so when he says your statutes are wonderful, he's not just referring merely to one specific part of scripture, but to all of scripture. The word of God is wonderful. The word wonderful is a word that means amazing or miraculous. It's a word oftentimes throughout scripture that is used to either describe the works that God has done in creation or the sense of awe and overwhelming wonder that those who witness God's acts in creation feel. It's a far more powerful description of the feeling the psalmist has when he approaches the statutes and commands of God than we typically associate with the word wonderful because we overuse words like wonderful and awesome and things like that. All of us have that friend who everything is awesome. How was your day? Awesome. How was your family? Awesome. You totaled your car? Awesome. We all have that friend that overuses the word awesome and wonderful is the same way. And, and the psalmist is separating God's word out here and describing it as something that is miraculous. God has spoken to people who are in rebellion to him. That is wonderful. God has revealed the way to righteousness and salvation with him. That is glorious. Scripture reveals God's judgment against sin. That is awesome. And God, the scriptures reveal how God acts within creation and who God is. And when we read the revelation of God within the scripture, we should be moved to a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, a sense of holy and godly fear. The psalmist comes, even in the middle of his struggle with the world around him, the psalmist comes to the word with a sense of wonder, a sense of awe, of all the glorious works of God revealed in Scripture that bring him wonder and awe. He does focus on two of them. First, Scripture is wondrous because it gives understanding to the simple. Verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. In the book of Proverbs, there are three levels of fool. And the, the, the first level of fool is the simple. And the simple is the one, it's the young man or young woman who has been taught the ways of God's wisdom. And they are just at that point in their life where they're being pushed out of the nest by mom and dad. And they now have to begin making decisions based on the teaching of wisdom, God's wisdom that they have. And and in the book of Proverbs, oftentimes the simple is portrayed as one who is beginning to make some of the wrong decisions and veering off into folly and, and into foolishness as that grows to a, a fool who still has an opportunity to be drawn back to wisdom or the fool that has gone too far and it's too late. And the psalmist here says, that it is the unfolding, the opening of God's word that gives light and understanding to the simple. 
And that's part of what makes us makes it wondrous. The scriptures do this as they are unfolded. Now, unfolded means uh, to, to open gradually, almost like opening a door very slowly. And it says, as that happens, light comes from the word and the simple are made wise. In, one, in verse 123, the psalmist said, my eyes fail looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. And as we looked at that, we talked about the cave tour, the cavern tour, where the tour guide leads you all the way back into the back of the cavern, where there's no hope for any type of light to sneak in, and then they turn the light out on you. I want us to think about that darkness again. Many times when that tour guide, when it's time to turn the light back on, they they have lights that kind of come on slowly. They brighten slowly so that you your eyes can adjust. Imagine if instead of those artificial lights coming on slowly, the tour guide flips the switch and the cave opens up and the fullness of the noonday sun is blinding you in your eyes. We talk about oftentimes, why does it take me so long to learn Scripture? It's because God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, unfolds the meaning of Scripture for you as you need the wisdom in your daily life. If you were all of a sudden at the moment of conversion to have the fullness of the knowledge of Scripture downloaded into your brain, well, your brain would just turn to mush because we can't handle the fullness of it all in one fell swoop. In fact, the glorious light of Scripture is so glorious that we will spend eternity trying to fathom the depths of it. The depths of God's glory, the depths of God's grace, the depths of God's mercy, the depths of God's understanding. And so the Holy Spirit works in your daily study of the word, in your gathering in worship to hear the word proclaimed. The the Holy Spirit works to unfold his word for you. That's why many times you may be reading or studying through the scripture and you look at a verse or a passage and you go, yeah, I have no idea what that means. And then other times, maybe months, weeks, years down the road, you come back to that passage and you go, okay, I get it now. And you may even come back to it again at a later date and said, well, I thought I got it before, but God be praised. I understand it even more now. As we walk with God, as we go about the habits of studying, memorizing, and sitting under teaching and preaching, The Spirit unfolds the light of the Word, giving us what we need to be wise and move from simplicity to wisdom in the moment rather than giving it to us all at once and we would just not be able to handle it. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to use the Word in your own life and as you speak with others. For yourself, don't give up simply because you read through, you read through or studied through the Bible and didn't understand everything. Continue to be diligent in your study. Continue to be diligent in sitting beneath good and solid preaching. Be committed to a lifetime of seeking to understand God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit rather than just doing it for a week or a month or a year and and just giving up because it's too hard. 
As you talk with others, especially people who are outside the church, notice that the psalmist says it is the unfolding of God's word that gives light to the simple. I know in the past there were, there were gospel presentations that you would memorize and speak to people, and those have their place. I'm not speaking against them. But we would be better served many times to have a basic idea of what the gospel is, but let the word do the speaking for us. Are you you talking to somebody who doesn't know Jesus but is asking you questions and you're just not sure how to answer? Say, well, can we read the gospel of Mark together? Maybe read a chapter or or a section at a time and, and agree to meet up again next week or tomorrow or the day after and say, let's read Mark 1. And yes, you'll have to prepare just in case they have some questions, but sit down with them and say, so what did you learn about Jesus in Mark 1? And then Mark 2, and then Mark 3, on until Mark 16. God promises that he will bring wisdom, that he will bring salvation to those who are simple through the opening, the unfolding of his word. And so let us take the onus, the the. The, the burden off of ourselves in sharing the good news of salvation and let the word do what God has promised the word will do. So the first thing that is a wonder for the psalmist is the light that it brings to the simple. The second wonder that the psalmist highlights is the direction that the word gives to his path or his pursuit of holiness. He says in verse 133, he says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men that I may obey your precepts. The word is there as we learned in verse 105. The word is a light into our feet and a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. The word moves us through this life, it, it walks us on a path either through the oppression of men or around the oppression of men, but it directs our steps and it keeps us on that path of holiness that God has placed before us. And he goes one step further by saying in verse 133, let no sin rule over me. Paul picks up this theme in the, in the section of Romans that we read earlier. If you have been crucified with Christ... Sin has no reign or rule or dominion over you. And yet there are times when we try to give sin dominion over us, even when we know that in Christ we are a new creation. Think of the center of your being, whether you call that a heart or a soul or whatever it is. And and think about the fact that God has promised in the Old Testament to to cut out that dead center of your life and to replace it with a living, breathing center of life where Jesus sits upon the throne of your life. He has deposed sin. He has thrown sin down, and that's who sat upon the throne of your life prior to Jesus coming to you. And now Jesus sits upon the throne of your life, and he rules your life with God's goodness, with God's mercy, with God's love. And, and all those benefits of salvation that come to the children of God. But every now and then, sin still comes along, temptation comes along and says, look, you've got it pretty, God, pretty good with God, but there's something better for you out there. 
And oftentimes what we do is we try to wrest that scepter, we try to wrestle the rule of our life from God's hands and give it to sin. And sometimes God allows us to, to, to think that we've done that successfully for a time before he brings us back through discipline and, and uh, repentance. But the psalmist's prayer is here, Lord, keep me loving and living the word enough that no temptation can rule me. No sin can seek to take your place on the throne of my life. We all struggle, you and I, brothers and sisters, we all struggle with temptation. We all struggle with sin. But our prayer is that God would continue to illuminate the path before us through his word so that when we do stumble and fall, it's a temporary thing and not something that ends up ruling our lives. And I think this ruling of sin is why he finishes up the section with verse 136. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. My temptation, possibly your temptation, as you read that last verse, is to think, oh, well, the psalmist is, is crying over tears, crying tears over the sinfulness that he sees in the world around him. And Yes, we should be grieved by the things that grieve God. But oftentimes we forget to grieve the sin in our own life and the places where we let sin have rule and reign in our own life. And we look at the world and we go, God hates your sin. When we do that, we become like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. In that parable, the younger brother has gone to the father and he said, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Give me my inheritance. I wish you were dead and I want to leave. So he leaves. He squanders the inheritance on bad living. He comes to his senses as he's sitting there helping a pig farmer feed pigs and going, I mean, I think what they've got to eat looks pretty good right now. And he says, you know what? If I went home and, and became a servant to my father rather than a son, I could at least be assured of regular meals. So he goes back home. The father sees him coming, and the father humiliates himself by running to the son and embracing him and welcoming him back into the family as a son and throwing him a party. And that's usually where we stop our discussion on the prodigal son. But see, there's another brother. There's the older brother who hears the party and he finds out that the younger, his younger brother has come back and he refuses to go to the party. And the dad comes out and says, what's going on? Your brother's back. Let's welcome him with loving arms. And the brother basically says, you know what? I've kept all your rules, dad. I've been the good, dutiful, responsible older son and you don't throw me parties. Why would you waste your time and your money on that miscreant, that sinner, that person who thought you were dead? I'm so much better than him. Why are you wasting your time on him? If we don't first weep over our own sins in our lives, that's the attitude we portray to the world. Is that attitude of older brother, God owes me because I'm righteous. Why would he waste his time expending grace on you? And so the psalmist declares the glory of God's word because it gives light to those who need the light of God's grace. And it keeps 
those who have been called by God on the path of holiness and proper repentance before him. And so the psalmist longs for God's word because it is wondrous. The psalmist also longs for God's word because it reveals to him the blessing of God. Let's take a few moments and turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers is it was is the what fourth book of the Old Testament. Numbers comes to us as uh, Israel has been brought out of Egypt. They've been brought to Mount Sinai. They've been given the law. They've been given the sacrificial system and the civil law in the book of Leviticus. And they're getting ready to leave Sinai and head toward the promised land. And in Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 22, we are, we are given a picture, we are given the words of the blessing that God told Aaron to bless over the people of God whenever they gathered together. And so in Numbers 6, beginning in verse 22, we hear these words, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Our psalmist actually prays this blessing in our passage today. In verse 132, he says, Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. God has given this blessing. Tell the people that they are blessed because I have turned my face upon them. And because they are blessed, they can love me. And the psalmist says, you promise blessing on those who love your name. Now, name is not merely that word that we associate with the person who is God. Name includes everything that God is, his reputation, his fame, the sum total of his actions and his characteristics or his attributes. The psalmist is saying, those who love you, O Lord, you promise to bless, to give mercy and grace to, and so I am praying for you because I love you for that mercy and grace. In verse 135, we see, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Part of that blessing is the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The psalmist is saying that as God's face shines upon him, he receives the blessings of being taught God's word. Both of those phrases within the blessing that we are given in Numbers chapter 24 are related partially to God's role as the father of his people. Have you ever had that parent that whenever things are tough or you've been hurt, or life is just piled upon you. You had that parent that they just give you that look. And when they gave you that look, you knew that everything was all right. Maybe it wasn't a parent. It could have been a grandparent or a mentor or something like that. That no matter how difficult life is around you, you could look to that parent. You knew that parent was there. You knew that they were taking care of you. You knew that they loved you even in the midst of the hard time. And you knew that everything was going to be okay. That's the picture that we get in the blessing of Numbers chapter 6. 
And the psalmist tells us through his use of language that this blessing is revealed in the unfolding of the light of God's word. The word that is translated shine in verse 135, make your face shine upon your servant, is the verbal form of the noun light in verse 130. And so as we open, as you and I study and meditate upon and hear teaching upon the word of God, God is blessing us. He is turning his face to shine upon us in his word. And the psalmist says, for that reason, because the word is the blessing of God, it is wondrous to me. Not only does God talk to us when he seems silent, not only does God talk to us in his word, when our life feels anything but blessed, God blesses us through his word as he reminds us that he is near, as he reminds us that he loves us, as he reminds us that he is our fortress and our strength. God's word is his blessing upon his people. And so our psalmist today finds the word of God to be wondrous as it shows him how to live and it shows him the blessings that God has given. Psalm 42 is another psalm of lament. And it opens up with the words, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth for you. When life is difficult, when life is good and we are seeking the blessing of God, we need to seek in the word of God. We need to seek and let the word of God shape our prayers. We need to seek through and let the word of God shine light upon the path ahead of us. And we need to internalize and learn the word of God so that we may feel the goodness of his blessing. That blessing that God gave to the Israelites in Numbers chapter 6, he gives to you as well. Because it comes through the inspired word to us today. It is in the word that we see God turning his face to beam, to shine upon his people. It is in God's word that we find the ways that God is blessing us. As the world tells us, we are anything but blessed. And it is in the word that we find that God, through Jesus, has turned his face towards sinners to give them peace. What a wonderful word. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words of wonder that are revealed to us in this passage. Help us to, to be changed by the wonder. Help us to, to feel the joy of the blessing. And help us walk near and with you in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go about your week, take this blessing upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this sermon from Fairly Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. To find out more about our church and its ministries, please find us on Facebook or visit us at www.arpchurchfairly.com. 
That's www.arpchurchfairle.org. Have a blessed day.